Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is Romans 5 verses 3 through 5. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack. This week, I received an email from a listener, a sweet adoptive mama walking a similar path as me. She writes, you are a godsend, a blessing, and an amazing mama. I am sending the biggest thank you possible wrapped in a big hug from Indiana. Well, this this mom went on to share how um, our stories are similar, and she was asking for some guidance in the area of homeschooling a kiddo with FASD. Uh, now we have a call scheduled because I I couldn't just respond to the email with by by writing out another email. I know it would get long if you listen to me. Uh, If you know me, you know I I use a lot of words, uh, and I really felt like I'd rather just have a a phone conversation so we could learn a little bit more about each other um, and and kind of organically have that conversation. So we have a call scheduled on the calendar. I can't wait to hear more of her story and share from my experience. And I love to hear from listeners. So please reach out if you have a question or maybe you'd like to share your story on the show. I'm always looking for good guests who will inspire and encourage our listeners. So if you have a story, um, if you know of someone who you would recommend to be a guest on this on this podcast, let me know that. If you have a question uh, regarding any of the things that I often talk about on the show, whether it be FASD or trauma or adoption or kinship or, or whatever it might be, homeschooling. Um, and I don't claim to have all of the answers. I'm in the trenches with you, but I can share from my personal experience and try to be an encouragement to you. So feel free anytime to reach out to me by email. You can reach me at Sandra Flack, JFO at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, and reach me that way. Um, We really love getting uh, emails from our listeners. Uh, We we really love hearing from you. So I hope that you'll take the time to do that. Uh, Speaking of good stories, I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. Claudia Fletcher is a seasoned foster and adoptive mom of 12 Grandma to 11. She's a pastor's wife, chief program officer at Patrick Henry Family Services in Virginia, and an area director for Care Portal. Please welcome to the show, Claudia. Welcome to the show, Claudia. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I know we've 
been on different Zooms and different um, uh, platforms before through Care Portal and through, we have a mutual friend in Jody Tucker, um, but I'm just so excited to finally get to interview you on the show. So thank you for saying yes. And um, let's start at the beginning of your journey. Tell us what led you to become a foster parent and then eventually adopt. Sure. I remember um, a very fateful conversation. I had met my husband in college and we had gone separate ways. Um, he would say we're not, we weren't even friends in college that he was afraid of me, but he just likes to poke fun at me. So we ended up um, reconnecting. We were planning a youth conference together and uh, had a fateful conversation where we were talking about what would you, why haven't you ever gotten married? We were both 30 at the time. And, and we both said things like, we just wanted to do risky things and we couldn't find anybody that we thought would want to do those with us. And one of the things we mentioned there was um, foster parenting. And so uh, that conversation uh, was a few weeks before I left the country for two years. And so we wrote back and forth. And then when I moved back, uh, we reconnected and ended up getting married. And um, But our real impetus was the idea that we have uh, this big pro-life uh, agenda in the church that has really become more pro-birth. And we said, if we're going to insist that, that women have children, then we need to be there to take care of them. And the church needs to step up and do that. And so we were really motivated by this idea of uh, what it means to be truly pro-life. And uh, that's kind of where we landed. And so right after we got married, I, I sent in the application for us to be foster parents. And we had our first placement um, about less than three months after we got married. Wow. Less than three months after marriage, you started fostering. That's, yeah, probably that not real wise. Yeah, probably not real wise planning, but it worked out pretty good. Wow. Now, I think you shared with me that you were about four years in, uh, four years married, and how many children did you have at home? So by the time we were married five years, we had adopted nine. So we just kind of got, got going. And then by the time, yeah. So we uh, never ended up having any birth children. And I would tell people at that point that we never had any time, energy, or privacy to make any. So we don't really even know <laughs> if we have fertility issues or not, because <laughs> we really didn't. Nobody had time to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, we just, we had, had had some couples that we knew that were going through that. And we just decided there's a lot of kids out here. We're just not going to put any in, any um any energy into that. And uh, we have a son who's in his twenties, who still will tell people that he secretly believes we're virgins. So that's a uh, pretty hilarious, but it's actually true. Not very many people who are one of 12 can accuse their parents of being virgins, but he can and he does. <laughs> oh, wow. One of 12, because you do have 12 adopted kids, but that is true. for how many years did you foster before you actually adopted? Not long. So we, we had uh, our first two placements were little guys uh, came at 20 months and nine months. And then about six months in foster parenting, we had two boys that were 12 and 14 uh, when we took them for three weeks while their mom was having another or their sister was having a baby. So during that month of time, they uh, went from straight F's to straight A's. And then their teachers told us as soon as they went back home, they went back to F's. And we thought, wow, wouldn't it be better if we just decided to adopt as opposed to doing foster care and not being able to carry it through? So at that point, we kind of switched gears and uh, literally sought out 
um, a, a straight adoption from foster care route. And that's where 10 of our kids came from. The t- first two that we had as foster kids, we ended up adopting. And then the rest of them, uh, the, up to 10, uh, were from the U.S. foster care. And then we have two from an orphanage in Guatemala. Wow. So 10 children came through foster care adoption and two international, like you said, Guatemala. What are their age ranges now? Uh, 23 to 35. 23 through to up to 35. Wow. So with 12 adopted kids and they came all at different ages and stages, you must have encountered trauma and um, attachment issues, as well as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, kids being exposed um, in the womb. Would you share what your experience was with that? Sure. How, how do you summarize <laughs> what an experience with all that looks like? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't think we have a single kid who doesn't have some kind of childhood trauma or FASD or both, um, and lots of attachment issues. Back then, we didn't know a lot uh, like we do now. You know, 25 years ago was during the, you know, the era where attachment was seen as um, a need for control, and we were told, just make sure you're always in control, and there was a lot of recommendations for consequences, and, and it just didn't work. I mean, we just, it didn't work, and so we had to learn and uh figure out a different way to parent because behavior modification was something that I understood very well. And and I have hundreds probably of hilarious examples of how I failed at trying to make that stick with kids who had had uh, childhood trauma and their brains were disorganized. Uh, So we certainly spent the first few years just scrambling around trying to figure out what we were doing because nothing we were doing worked. Wow. So you do, did you receive, aside from the basic foster parenting classes, had you received any training on trauma? Uh, any, did you ever learn anything about FASD? Probably f- eight or 10 years into it, we did. Um, wow. The first few years, we just, it wasn't there. You know, the connected child hadn't been written. There was no such thing as TBRI. Um, people weren't really putting together what FASD was. It was a you know, at that time, if you didn't have facial features, you didn't have it. Um, I mean, it was just very clear. And um, probably, yeah, maybe seven years into it, um, moved into a community where we became very good friends with uh, another mom who had adopted kids that had it. And she was a trainer uh, of FASD and taught us a ton about that. And uh, we're still friends and we, we have adult kids now and we still deal with FASD. It doesn't just disappear uh, because a kid gets older or more attached, it's still something that has to be um, dealt with. And you have to teach the kids to, to make accommodations. And, and, and most of them have done that. Some of them are still us being their accommodations, but they make them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, when, and that's, that's what I, because early on with the first child that came into our home was a kinship placement. So we didn't even have foster parenting classes. She was not in the system. She would have been probably if we hadn't taken her in. So we had zero classes and we weren't looking at it as an adoption thing. So that is my puppy who is barking. We'll see if she will. My listeners know that Slava has a, a support 
emotional support dog. So she must be hearing something outside. Um, so I'm going to keep rolling with that. Um, but that was Liberty and uh, barking there. So sorry about that. So it, it even kind of threw me off, but I think I was talking about having no training whatsoever. Wouldn't have, have even known to um, read a book about it. No idea. Um, but then several years later, when we adopted internationally, um, again, no classes. However, I started reading books. And then when I did get the um, re read The Connected Child, was able to attend several different uh, conferences and Empowered to Connect seminars and actually learn directly from Dr. Karen Purvis, I began to put the pieces together and could look back to all the wrong things we did with our first daughter who came that way, came in through the kinship placement. So we make a lot of mistakes as we go along and, and we learn a lot and it can be very, very hard. And with 12, 12 adopted kids, Claudia, um, you know, that how did you survive? Because you've got all of that coming at you. It sounds like in the early days, you really didn't have a whole lot of support as far as the training. You said the connected child hadn't been written yet. So what did you do to, to survive and to keep going? So I think if I, if I, well, one thing we just kept going. <laughs> I don't think we had an option as to whether or not we were going to survive. We had, we had told our kids, we will never stop being your parents. You may not always be able to live here. And some of them had to live to other places for a while, but we were committed to those kids always being our kids, regardless of what happened. And so that commitment meant that we didn't have a choice. Um, I remember particularly the first year we had older kids. Uh, we had four that year and the oldest two were really uh, very difficult. And we did not, we thought we knew what we were doing, but we did not. And I remember every night thinking, we just can't do it again. We can't get up tomorrow. We'd look at each other and say, okay, that's it. We can't get, and then we were like, nope, we got it. We got to do that. And one of the things that um, we would say, and I would say is I want to find out that th there's going to be a moment of joy every day. And I want to find out what that moment is tomorrow. And then I would wake up and I would look for it. And I was convinced that God would provide one moment of joy each day. And so I, I hung on to that um, pretty substantially. Also, we were very good about not letting the kids triangulate and not letting them uh, split us up. So we were very committed to being on the same page. We were committed to never going to bed angry. So we stayed up really, really late a lot of times, <laughs> uh, particularly that first year, uh, because my husband is the nurturer and I'm the enforcer. And so I always was bad cop. I still am. Um, and he was doing that nurturing connecting piece while I was trying to keep order. Um, so, but we were really careful to not make decisions without each other, to not let the kids uh, triangulate. And so that was a big principle. And we also were really able to see humor in almost everything. And we did a lot of laughing and we still do. Uh, it's legendary for, uh, me to tell stories when we meet new people and our kids will request their favorites. It's part of family uh, legends. We have a lot of them and they're, they're all, they all come from a center of, of the kids' trauma and, and issues, but they've learned to laugh at themselves. And um, that's been a big piece of it. Now, not all of them got there, but most of them did. Um, and I was thinking there's one more thing. Um, Oh, we had a really good blogging community back then. So we, we had to set up kind of fake supports because 
we didn't know anybody else at first that had a life like ours. So that was back in the day where blogging was kind of like barf on a page. You just, whenever you were anxious or stressed, you just wrote and put it all out there like a journal. And we ended up developing a community of people who were doing that and reading each other's blogs and encouraging each other and connecting a lot of other parents with kids with FASD, uh, other large families that had a bunch of kids. Um, we created our own support system that way because we didn't have one. And we lost a lot of our previous friends. They couldn't figure out what in the world we were doing or why. Uh, so we did that. And we had very supportive churches that that kind of wrapped themselves around us and were very supportive as well. So we intentionally created support systems. Um knowing that we needed them for, for various reasons. And we realized that asking for help was not a bad thing. We, we knew there were a lot of people out there who, you know, you get the, oh, you're such a saint and all that. No, I'm not that great of a mom. And I certainly, like, I don't even know that I really even like kids, to be honest. So it, for me, <laughs> it was like, I want to bring these people into my family because I want to I want to obey the Bible, right? I want to, I want to, you know, practice pure religion. And it was a cause for me, but I wasn't a great parent. Um, but I knew what I needed, what we needed to make happen for our kids and for us. And so we built that support system and we surrounded ourselves with the right people. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of prayer and a lot of, um, just really, well, you build resiliency. It's a muscle. So people say, oh, wow, you are so resilient. How can I be that resilient? Okay. You go through a whole lot of crap. You just, yeah. you know, you go through something and then you look back and you say, uh, yeah, um, God was here for this three years ago and this two years ago and this last year. So he's going to get us through this time. And then every time you go through something you've never been for, through before, you, you know, you, you know, we thought, oh my goodness, if one of our girls um, got pregnant, we would just never make it. And then she did and we made it. And then, you know, we would, what if we had to kick a kid out for a while? Um, then we had to kick one of our adult kids out and, and we were okay. And what if one of our kids tried to kill us and then he did, and then we were okay. And um, every season we made through all this, you know, and by, by the, by the time we were in it 15 years or so, we had been through about everything you could think of. And we just knew that God was always faithful. He never left us alone. And so we started counting on that and uh, just kept taking it one day at a time. Wow. Incredible. Um, Cause it's, it's hard. You've been through some, some pretty hard stuff. I know you, uh, your husband's a pastor. So you mentioned churches being your ch church congregations were really, you found support there, which I think is wonderful. How, how did the church wrap around you during that time? Well, they would do things like take our kids. If we wanted to go out of town, we would divide them up. Um, they were there to provide, you know, certain people in the church were just very encouraging. Some of them, you know, we had one church where I didn't sit with the kids. I had like one with me and they were all sitting with different people in the congregation because they liked them and those people liked them. And then it kept me from having to try to make everybody not chew gum and everybody not, you know, poke their sister or whatever. I just, I was able to maintain one or two. And then the other one sat with different people. Um, but we had challenging times too. I mean, we had, we had kids that stole money out of the offering plate and, you know, daughter who would cut her 
mini skirt so short after I bought them that she'd go up for communion and the whole church would be aghast. And, and we had a lot of shock, shock moments as well. Um, but we just had a lot of people that really cared about us. Yeah. That's wonderful to have that, to have that support. Um, and then I know you actually have written some books along the way. Um, I know one has some survival tips in there. So tell us just a little bit about your books. And um, I was going to ask you to share um, a couple of survival tips. Okay. So the first book we wrote is called Out of Many, One Family, How Two Adults Claim 12 Children Through Adoption. And my husband and I wrote that together. Um, I think we wrote it in 2008. And that, uh, so that's the first book. The second book uh, is called a glimpse of God's heart, how trying to change my kids changed me. And that was a women of faith writing context loser book. So I self-published it because I had already <laughs> written it, but it, it, so I'm not sure I'm very good at promoting my book. That's probably why they're in my closet, right? Cause I say things like that, but it's a true <laughs> fact. I wrote the book for writing contests. I didn't win, but I figured it was there. So that book talks about how our first book is how we got all our kids and the process we went through. And it was intended to teach people about the different processes and what they needed to do. So we had the things we learned section and after every chapter of explaining what we learned. The second book is just my, it's kind of a women's book, touchy feely, climb on Jesus's lap kind of a book. And uh, that was um, the idea of what I learned about with God by being an adoptive parent. Because I think mm-hmm. there's so much that we don't understand about God's heart until we adopt and then we get it, you know, how God feels about us and how he claims us and all that. So that's what that book's about. The third one is called, Okay, Which One of You Took My Sanity? And that's the book that has the 12 survival tips. I co-authored that with a guy very different from me that I met online. Um, and it's supposed to be funny. Um, and it includes these 12 survival tips and um, a couple of those uh, are not new uh, to anybody. Um, one of them is just the idea of putting your own oxygen mask on first and making sure that you, you know, self-care is the buzzword, but do things to keep yourself healthy. If you want to you wanna be a good parent to these kids, you have to do that. Um, another tip is, is breaking things down into manageable pieces. So um, I would literally say, Okay, Claudia, you're going to get a star if you can go from the time you wake up until the kids get on, you know, get off the out of the van to go to school without screaming. You get a star. Like I would break the day down into you got this much you got to do, and I would do that for them too. You know, a homework assignment or a chore. Here's a manageable thing you can do. This is what I need you to do for this minute, and make it so break it down so that people can um, grasp what they need to do next. Um, so yeah, that's a couple of them that are, that are in the book. Yeah, I know. I just was listening to another podcast that I follow, um, FASD family life and Robbie seal is a ho- the host of that. And, and she was just talking about, um, you know, on those hard days when you feel like I just can't do it anymore, reminding yourself that in an hour, it'll be different in an hour, they'll be in school in an hour you know, they'll be in bed or whatever, whatever it is, you know, just to get through that time. Um, so definitely some great survival tips. So we'll make sure that we put links uh, in the show notes and let our listeners know um, available on Amazon and you have a website as well. Yeah. So Barton, Claudia Fletcher.com has an online store. 
or if you search the titles with my name, um, you can pull them up. The last two I wrote are fiction. Um, and the fourth one I wrote is actually my favorite. It's called Little Did She Know. And it's just a story that involves a lot of the things I care about. So it talks about adoption. It talks about residential treatment. It talks about FASD. It talks about Mexican missionaries. It talks about um, sex trafficking. It's got a lot of things that are important to me woven into a story that I like it. And then I wrote a sequel to it um, called Fully Known. So those are the five. Um, and yeah, so BartonClaudiaFletcher.com or Amazon. BartonClaudiaFletcher.com or Amazon. And we'll make sure we have links so that our listeners can check those out. Um, so, and I'm sure that they will. Um, so 12 kids and you still, and they're all, you said 23 to 35. Yep age range, and you still have five of them living with you. What does that look like? It's weird because they all think that they, well, first, let me tell you what they, what they are. The, the four, four of our adult sons live upstairs. Two of them um, had young girlfriends when they were uh, 18. And so they're sex offenders. And so they can't get housing other places. So when they're um, following probation and not in jail, they live upstairs. Um, the other two would really not be able to live on their own because of either mental health or developmental delays. Um, so emotionally though, they don't think they need us, but resource wise they do. And then my daughter and her husband and the four grandkids live in the basement. And that's super fun. That, that part I like, um, <laughs> they're very helpful. Her, her husband is a, a, a fix it kind of a guy, so he can fix stuff and she loves to do our our flowers and our gardening. He likes to do the lawn and uh, it's a good arrangement and the kids come up and visit me and that's really fun. Um, most of the time it's pretty stable. Everybody's employed and everybody's doing what they're supposed to do most of the time and they don't need us for a lot of things. Um, so today it's pretty good, but tomorrow it might not be. Tomorrow <laughs> somebody might lose their job or get in a car wreck or go back to jail or, and then I would think, oh my goodness, I need these people to move out. But um, I think that uh, I love it that my grandkids are growing up in a three generational environment. They have their own space, but they have access to their uncles and their grandma and grandpa all the time. And so you just caught me on a good day, though, because uh, well, and I can I can I, I have good days. I have bad days. And I think all of us as as adoptive foster kinship caregivers can say that. Um, but some of the things that you just talked about and you kind of listed off like, you know, nonchalant matter of fact happens to all of us, um, you know, the sex offender thing, the in the jail in jail kind of thing. Um, you know, they're living at home earlier. You said something about, you know, what, what if one tried to kill us and then that happened and we survived all of it. So, you know, you you've been through and experienced some of the things that may, maybe many of the things that foster and adoptive parents, um, you know, are afraid of like, I'm a failure if my kid ends up in jail, or I'm a failure if this or that we fear those things happening, even though it's kind of common when you have a kid with trauma or a kid with a developmental disability, and you're trying to fit that, you know, round peg into a square hole. And these kids can't, you know, do some of those things. Like you said, some of your kids don't feel like they really need you on an emotional level, they don't want to have to need you, but yet really they do. So how do you, um, 
you know, how do you deal with that? Knowing that, you know, they don't all, they're not all going to turn out perfect, right? There's going to be all of these things that can happen. Um, and how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you, how do you, um, you know, do you beat yourself up as a parent or, you know, what is your perspective on that? So one of the really good things that happened when I was growing up is that I was raised by like perfect parents. Um, they weren't perfect, but they had a lot of going, things going for them. Um, and they were older, so they were very intentional about how they raised us. And they raised three children. And um, I'm the only one who turned out the way they hoped I would. Um, I'm the only one who's still, you know, that attends church. Um, my, my, the brother that's closest in age for me um, died a pretty rough death because of alcoholism. Um, my other brother, uh, yeah, he, he's not done very much with his life. So in that, my mom did a lot of grieving. You know, she, she would say, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. So that means that if I, if I didn't, or if he didn't turn out that way, then I didn't train him up the way I was supposed to. And she came across a book when I was in my twenties, um, that said, that's a, that's a proverb, not a promise. It's a wise mm-hmm. saying, but there's no promise guaranteed with that. And she kind of prayed her way into believing that God let her off the hook, that she had done the best that she could, and that my brothers had freedom of choice and they could make their own decisions. And so even coming into parenting, I wasn't going to go there where I was going to say, I have some magic formula that if I parent this way, my kids are going to turn out great. I just knew that I needed to do the best that I could and they were going to make choices and they weren't always going to be the choices that I want them to make. Um, the other piece of that is that we really redefined our, our definition of a good day or success because we had, I mean, when we first started out, every kid was going to graduate from college. They were all going to support us when they were old. Um, they weren't going to break the law. Um, and we just decided at the end of the day, if they hadn't killed us or themselves, it was a good day. Like mm-hmm. just bare, bare minimum expectations um, that, that they're alive, we're alive. And so we did good today. Um, and that kept us going through some of the rougher years. We had nine teenagers at the same time. That was bad planning. Um, but during that season, we did a lot of going to bed saying, well, they're still alive. We're still alive. They didn't kill anybody. It's a good day. So I think lowering expectations for what you think you can do and not owning their behaviors and recognizing that, you know, this is part of what I talk about in, in the book of God does that with us all the time. You know, he's the perfect father and we're right. not perfect. Right. And so right. he has to know, um, I think probably the toughest choice he ever made was letting us choose, you know, giving us freedom mm-hmm. of choice because he could have made us robots. Right. But he didn't. Right. And so if he gave us that freedom, we have to give our kids that freedom and we just have to give guidance and, and not get pulled into the drama to make it somehow connected to me. And most of the time they were doing stupid stuff. I doubt they were even thinking about me. Right. right. They were out there thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint mom and dad by getting drunk tonight. No, they weren't thinking right. about right. us. So it's not our fault. Right. 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 Good advice. Good advice. Great perspective. So thank you. Um, so now all of your experience led to the work that you're doing now, because uh, you're still in this space of vulnerable children, kids in crisis. Tell us about your role at Patrick Henry Family Services. 
Okay, so this is kind of a cool uh, way to end my career. I'm the chief program officer in, here in Virginia of a place called Patrick Henry Family Services. It started out as a, a boys and girls home. Now we have lots of programs. Um, and I oversee our teams that provide direct care. We have a Safe Families program. We have our own variation of foster care. We have a, a home for moms and babies uh, to keep them from going into care. Uh, we have a camp. We have a full-blown counseling program. And so I get to supervise some of those programs. Um, and I get to be the proponent of something we call Vision 30. We have this crazy God-sized vision that by the time 2030 gets here, um, we'll basically have most of the kids that are in the foster care system will now be either safe in their own family or if they are in care, will be supported by a local faith community. So we're working to, to attach DSS, uh, the church, nonprofits, um, Christian families to step into that space to make sure that all the kids in our community are safe. So I love my job. It's cool. Oh, I love it. Love all that you're doing there. Um, in addition to that, like me, you are an area director for Care Portal. Um, and for our listeners who might not know, uh, Care Portal is a technology tool that connects child welfare agencies with churches caseworkers enter needs into the system for um, things such as beds, cribs, uh, items such as that. Uh, and those requests get emailed out to participating churches that utilize Care Portal for their outreach ministry. Care Portal is in 28 states nationwide, uh, parts of Canada. Uh, it's in New York, where I am, and Virginia, where Claudia is. And um, Claudia, I'd love for you to share some Care Portal stories of impact that you have witnessed. You know, what happens, what have you seen happen when the church steps into this space? So as a person, Care Portal is my favorite thing. So as a professional, I love it. But as a person, it's my favorite thing. And uh, a couple of stories, one of them that I, that I love started almost two years ago when we first started Care Portal in Virginia. And my husband and I had an iPad and uh, or we had three iPads between us. So we had an extra one. We didn't want to try to decide which of our kids to give it to. So there was a, a family um, man and his wife who had five kids that were in foster care. They were trying to get back, trying to stay sober. And I connected with a friend in the next town and said, if I get this iPad to you, will you and your church make the delivery? And they built a great relationship with that family. Um, they were there at the year sobriety party when they completed their drug court. They were there when they started getting their kids back. Um, the family eventually over time started becoming part of their church and now are very active care portal responders um, helping with other needs. The dad in that family is always there to help rebuild something or help give rides or help mentor younger guys. Um, and they, they've got a, quite a group of support uh, happening at that church because of that. Um, Another story is a girl I'm still in contact with. She texted me this morning to see if I could give her 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. I had to say no this time, but we have no more for almost two years. She aged out of foster care uh, when she turned 18, having already had a child when she was 14. Um, she was getting ready to have her second child when I met her. Now she's the mom of three. And at first, you know, I was going to, my relationship with her was going to help her come up with a life plan and she was going to go to college and she was going to get out of the housing projects and she was going to do all this stuff. And, and probably six months in, I realized I was just going to walk with her. I wasn't going to, I, she was so entrenched in generational poverty and 
dysfunction, family dysfunction, and uh, her parents' drug use and all that, that, that I was just going to walk with her. And so I have through all kinds of up and ups and downs. But my favorite piece of, of that whole story was about six months in, I had taken her and, and a couple of the kids out for lunch. And she turned to me in the middle of this. And this is a girl who was in the system from the time she was 12. And she was still in the independent living phase because she was only 20. Um, and she said, you know, I was thinking the other day that outside of my family, I think you're the only person I've ever met who cares about me without getting paid to. Mm. And I thought that was such, that's the magic of care portal that mm. people who don't get paid to share the love of Jesus do it. And it counts. It counts way more than all the professionals that get paid to help these families. It counts because we do it because we love Jesus and we love them. And so it made such an impact on her. She's a bright kid. She figured out this is different because you're buying me lunch because you care about me, um, not because you're getting paid to. And it took her over a year to tell me she loved me. I didn't push it. Um, and her life continues to be hard, 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 hard. But she's got me um, to text and uh, to see when she can. And I walk with her. And I never would have known about her if it wasn't for Care Portal. So I love being able to be connected with people that I know exist out there, but I don't know who they are. And now Care Portal helps me know who they are so I can reach out to them. I love that. And that's, and that's really, that's outreach, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing, walking with the least, the lost, and the lonely and letting them know they're not alone and that they are loved. And, and so I love that too. That's one of my favorite parts of Care Portal as well. So thanks for sharing those stories. Um, Claudia, as we wrap up, what is on your heart that you'd really like our listeners to hear? Many of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents, kinship caregivers. Um, what, would, what would you like to say to them? So I spent a lot of time, maybe 10, 15 years ago, traveling and doing conferences and speaking back when we used to all get together in big, big groups, if you can remember that. Um, I used to go speak at the at state conferences and stuff. And, and I would joke with people that, that they were all there to find out how to fix their kids. And that the reason that I hadn't <clears throat> hit the big time and made a lot of money with my speaking engagements was because I was there to tell them how to change themselves, not how to change their kids. And they didn't want that. They wanted a secret formula. They didn't want to know how to change themselves. So whenever I speak, um, I always end with the same uh, words, which are uh, the revised serenity prayer. And I always want to encourage everybody that I meet, especially in this space uh, with foster and adopted kids um, to realize the, the truth of this statement or this prayer, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the person I can, and the wisdom to know it's me. Mm, wisdom right there. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Claudia, for all that you do, for investing in uh, the children that you've adopted and continuing to invest through your work with Patrick Henry Family Services and Care Portal. Um, it's, it's an honor to know you and to work with you. And thank you so much for, for being on the show today and sharing your story. You're welcome. It's been great to be here. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. We'll make sure that we have uh, the links to Claudia's books in the show notes. 
um, for this episode. Uh, that way you can check those out if you're interested. She's really has an incredible sense of humor and is hysterically funny. Um, I've, I've got to hear her in person, um, kind of doing a stand-up comedy routine. And um, so she's incredible. And my dog is barking again. So you know that I'm just recording this um, from, from home, really. So, so, okay, I think we fixed the dog barking. So if you caught any of that, that's just Liberty hearing some noise outside. Um, so extend grace. Thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. Remember to stand firm in your parenting and armor up for the journey. And let us know if you're listening, um, if you've been enjoying this podcast, make sure that you subscribe uh, to Orphans No More and reach out to us again. Uh, you can email me, sandraflackjfo at gmail.com or contact me through the website, justicefororphansny.org. Um, always love to hear from our listeners. And you can check out my family's adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It's available wherever you buy books. And if you order from Amazon, after you read it, please leave a review. I think I'm up to 54 reviews uh, so far, and I'm so excited about that. So if you, if you do read it there, please go on and leave a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you would like a signed copy, uh, which would include a special uh, gift bookmark, you can order a signed copy from my website, sandraflack.com. Uh, on my website, you'll also be able to learn more about me, read my blog for foster and adoptive kinship caregivers, and contact me for speaking opportunities. I would love to come and speak to um, at your event, uh, whether it be foster adoption, if you want me to speak about FASD and trauma, um, I'm always available for retreats, for one-day conferences. Um, feel free to reach out to me. I would love to come and be at your event with you. Uh, if you would like to contact me about that, again, you can do that right through my website, sandraflack.com. I would also like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and the National Bank of Koksaki. These businesses located in upstate New York care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, justicefororphansny.org, uh, where we have an entire resource, resource page dedicated to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So we want you to be FASD informed, so you can check that out. Follow us on social media. Um, I'm at uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Sandra Flack, uh, and as well as Justice for Orphans has both a Facebook and an Instagram page. So um, follow all of the above. Thank you again for listening. I'm so grateful that you chose to spend your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.